is love is love on the queer family podcast love is love when milk lets down you know you hear a lot of times people talk about like okay you get this like oxytocin release during milk letdown but that's when your milk starts to flow mm-hmm. i get this like euphoria kind of feeling and oh i feel so connected and it's kind of like what you were describing at the beginning of this and for many people that is what it feels like but for some people the way that our hormones communicate with our brain that letdown experience is when you might experience something that feels like like a postpartum depre- depression, or sometimes it can manifest oh itself God. in like a sick to your stomach kind of feeling. Yeah. And you're like, That's what is totally this? totally me. Yeah, I but it comes and it. goes, and it takes that a while to figure to out. It happens yeah. because of the letdown. I hated it. Every time I felt it, I would yeah. get like- Like a sensory kind of- red and this like, oh, like- like it, it, heavy, yeah. like this yeah. heavy feeling. I hated it. Mm-hmm. Trigger warning. This episode does contain mention of a stillbirth. Please take care while listening. Welcome, 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 folks, to the Queer Family Podcast, the show all about family, but with gay. <laughs> my name is Jamie. I'm your queer host. And um, you, my friends, are tuning in as you know, or possibly don't, to the show whose mission is and always has been to highlight, uplift, normalize, and celebrate LGBTQIA plus families in all of our beautiful identities. And there are many beautiful identities in our beautiful rainbow. You see what I did there? A rainbow of a community. And it is my mission to celebrate them all. So this episode does not disappoint on that front. But before I introduce our guests for today, I want to welcome our newest Patreon member. Ladies and gentlemen and everywhere in between, please give a warm round of applause for Kelsey Eitel. Kelsey Eitel. Eitel? Eitel? Either way, it's a really cool name. Kelsey, you rock. Thank you so much for becoming a Patreon member and supporting this here little show. I love you for it. And you too, folks at home or in your cars or wherever you are can also become Patreon members at patreon.com slash the queer family podcast. And now I'd like to introduce who our guests are on this here little episode. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Heidi and Trina. They are friends and coworkers and lactation consultants. They work together. They each also have their own queer stories, which we dig into. We got a little bisexuality. We have a little later in life lesbian action. It's good. And parenting as well. And then we dig into all things that come with lactation. And we're talking about the queer community here. So we're talking about chest feeding. We're talking about induced lactation. And we're talking about that for anyone, whoever you may be, a non-bio parent, a bio parent, a friend, a trans parent, runs the gamut. And we can get creative with our lactation which I found out even more about by talking to Heidi and Trina. And I love that they're really doing the work, these two. These two. They are very, very inclusive with their practice and they are a wonderful resource for our community. So you're going to love to hear their story. And what also ended up happening in this here little chat I had with these two is I unearthed a bit of trauma <laughs> that was still inside me. So once again, y'all are getting a little therapy session of Jamie's. I didn't even realize. Y'all know I had a traumatic birth with my son and y'all know that it took me forever to get pregnant with him. But you might not know that I had a really hard time with chest feeding or breastfeeding, whatever you want to call it. And I didn't realize that there was some stored up emotion in there. 
definitely probably some postpartum, which we unearthed. And as I was talking about it and just trying to tell my story, like, you know, in my flippant way, I started tearing up and, and then they were like, oh, you should get some, some therapy. And they gave me a therapist. And, um, I just want to, state on the record. I haven't gotten the therapist yet. I haven't done it yet. I haven't followed through, but I do plan to because I do believe that there is some um, pent up pain inside that I have to deal with. And I was laughing it off and I could see their faces like, oh my God, she's laughing about this. This is serious. So I promise, I promise I will dig in. I will dig in. Might take a second, but um, anyway, it's a it's a great episode. Um, you're going to learn a lot. It's a wonderful resource. Check them out. Breast for Baby is the name of their agency, and you're going to hear more about it in this year little interview. And before I roll the tape, one more thing for you. I mean, besides the fact that my six year old son has decided that he likes to sleep naked now, that's happening. That's a new thing for us in our family. And if there's any lesbian moms or queer moms out there who um, can relate with their little boy who seems to be like really doing all the quote unquote boy things that are out there, reach out. You know, I need some support. We're, we're like, we don't know what we're doing with that. But um, besides that, I have a message from one of my most recent Patreoners, Caroline D. Bernardi Luft. I love saying that name. And I wanted to read it to you because it's really nice. Um, it's awesome. So Caroline wrote, your podcast has been such a fantastic support from the time our son Zachary was born. He's three months now. Yay, congrats. Whoop, whoop. I made another baby, y'all. She says, Zach was born on Halloween and my wonderful wife, Rachel, was the one who gave birth. We were lucky for being successful on our first round of IVF. Nice. Doesn't happen that often. Good job. Good job. Being a queer mum. Oh, they must be from across the pond. Uh, has its challenges and I finally got to hear from people like me. And then she goes on to say, I didn't make her say this. She says, Jamie is the best host ever. Oh, thank you. I'm going to cry. And I love how she conducts the interviews, asking great questions and making us all feel so warm. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I feel so grateful to you all, she says, and I wish more people become Patreons to keep it going. It's such an important podcast. Please help if you can. Oh my God, thank you, Caroline, for that plea for Patreoners. Yeah, please help if you can. I'm basically a listener-supported podcast, so anything you can do to help helps keep this show running because that's really what it's doing. We're just keeping the show running. Nobody's getting paid here. But I really appreciate you all. And Caroline, thank you for that lovely, lovely message. Don't forget, if you do join Patreon, I have a new thing I'm doing every second Thursday of the month called Queers for Cheers, where we have a little Zoom happy hour at 7 p.m., and we just talk and there'll be topics and games and things like that. So it'll be a fun way for our community to get together. So I hope to see you all there. And uh, I'll let you know when the next one comes up. And I hope all of y'all are having a wonderful, wonderful February. It's cold and we're almost through it. And uh, all right, I'm going to roll the tape. Without further ado, it is time to roll this beautiful tape. Helen, Beulah, wake up, darlings. Wake up. They're not real. I don't have assistance. Okay, Nicole, Nicole, could you get them? Nicole is real. And Nicole's getting Helen and Beulah to please roll that tape. Thank you so much. Mwah. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Queer Family Podcast. Love is love. Hi, Heidi and Trina. Hi, Jamie. OMG. I am so happy we are finally actually doing this. <laughs> yeah, I am definitely very excited about this as well. Yeah. <laughs> we tried this once before and had extreme technical difficulties mm -hmm. and had to bag it and reschedule. And now we're here and everything seems to be working. Mwah. Golden. 
So without further ado, I'm going to pass it on to you for your 30-second elevator pitch. I Excellent. am going to put a timer up, but okay. don't you worry because I will never cut you off ever. Oh, that could be dangerous. And that happens a lot and that's okay. And that's what, <laughs> that's what makes this show so technically beautiful. Okay. I'm going to count you in on your marks. All right. Get set. Go. We are Breast for Baby. I'm Trina. This is Heidi. Uh, we are lactation consultants, and really what we should be called is infant feeding specialists because we basically help new families feed their babies, and each family is different, and each baby is different, and sometimes it's the very stereotypical latching the baby at the breast kind of situation that we're in, but also a lot of times it's not that. A lot of times we're helping babies to feed from bottles. Sometimes we're helping parents to pump. Sometimes we're helping parents to feed formula in bottles. Sometimes we're helping uh, non-birthing parents to feed their babies either at chest or at breast or on a bottle. It's all the things. It's all the things from infants are just born or actually from before the infant is born because we can do a lot of work before infant is born to pre prepare for everything. And then it's until baby is weaned. So yeah. we run the gamut and we help all these families feed their babies. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You did go over, but I, I'm, I'm not going to be mad at Dang you it. for that. <laughs> <laughs> it also includes all that before time includes induced lactation, which you know a lot about too, which I yeah. think we're going to dig into. Yes. And I want to dig into all as a non-birthing mother and also a birth mother who had an extremely hard time with breastfeeding. I'm sure mm. we can go deep. Mm -hmm. Before I do that, I want to know a little bit about y'all's personal lives. Okay. Because there's a reason you're so, uh, I feel like, enmeshed in the queer community when it comes to chest feeding, right? So mm -hmm. let's dig into that. Let's dig into who are Heidi and Trina. I keep wanting to call you Trina because of the, you have a, a cool spelling of your name. I grew up in Denmark. And in Denmark, the E makes the uh sound. Uh, so right. it's, it's not actually Trina. It's Trina. That kind before. of close to Trine, I guess. So you can call me whatever you want. I've been called well, many, many things. <laughs> I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call you what you want to be called. That's what I'm gonna call you. Right, so cool. <laughs> it's generally a good guideline. Yeah, <laughs> usually works. Since I just called you out on your name, Trina. Why don't we start with you? Who are you? Who am I? <laughs> I've been many, many different things in my life, I guess. Um, I grew up in Denmark, like I said, and then uh, I wanted to escape my very small little island in a very small little country. I came to the States to be an au pair, a nanny. I met a dude and I got married and I had some children and that was many years ago. My <laughs> youngest is 17. My oldest is 20. My feeding journey with them was not easy. You know, 20 years ago, I didn't even have an email address. Like, I don't know how to make it work. I didn't have resources. And so mm -hmm. when I did figure out how to feed him, I decided I wanted to become the person to help the other parents feed their babies more okay. easily. Later down the line, I realized, whole big story, I realized I, I'm not supposed to be married to a dude. Got as divorced. You do. I'm, yeah, as you do. Um, got divorced. I identify as queer. I think um, that's like a nice encompassing, all-encompassing label. Leaning lesbian, but queer, because yeah. I don't want to rule out a non-binary person or a trans person could be in my future, you know, I so like that. Queer. that's it. Before I came out, before any of that happened, it, you know, I've always kind of wanted to be somebody doing the things for the queer community. And I know that there's a lack of resources. And even if there are lactation consultants who can help with these things, a lot of them are not really 
educated or not really safe places to for people yeah. to go. And yeah. so I need for people to just know as soon as you go on my website, you will see, you know, the little hints and the little things that make you go, okay, well, this yeah, is this is a place that I can go place. without having to be exclusively for queer people. Obviously, that would not pay my bills. Right. Uh, case in point. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that there are probably many, many providers that are doing a really good job, but I know that in general, it can be kind of nerve wracking to find a provider. And I feel like getting past the anxiety of that and seeing, Hey, this is a place that's going to be welcoming to me and be ready to answer my questions and have, you know, inclusive language and all of that helps maybe people get over, or I know for me, it helps me get over the hump of like, this is someone who probably will help me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're doing more than just slapping like a a gay couple on your website and just like, and then not doing the work. You know what I mean? Like it really does mean a lot to know that, that this is a truly inclusive, meaning I'm not going to have to explain my relationship with my wife when you walk through the door. Right. You know, I don't want to explain it. I want you to just get it. Right. Right. And because we get tired of it. We get very tired. Of Of course. You don't have to come out to every single provider. You should just be able to walk in and be accepted as who you are and understood. Yeah. Every t- like every time I go to the gynecologist, I, how often do you go? Like one, every, every six months, every year? I don't even remember, but because I forget <laughs> as soon as I leave because I hate it so much. But Probably should go every year. <laughs> I have to come out to them. The mm-hmm. same doctor. Every, nope. I'm gay. <laughs> Not pregnant. Nope. Can't be. What kind nope. of birth control gay. are you using? Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. I... Can we... Is Can there be a note somewhere, please? Can we remember this? Mm-hmm. Right? So it is important. Yeah. That should be on paperwork. Like oh, when, when people come into our intake, we see that information beforehand. We don't have to have those conversations yeah. again. And of course there are unique circumstances, right? If you okay. are trans, for example, and you come in, the way that we deal with medications might be a little bit different. Even as a lesbian couple, if you walk in as a lesbian pregnant mom or having given birth already lesbian mom, we need to ask, how was baby conceived? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a turkey baster and it happened really quickly. And that doesn't usually raise any red flags for medical history. But if you went through a whole process of egg retrievals and all this stuff, then then sometimes we have to yeah, syndrome. we have yeah. to ask, was that done because you were trying to get pregnant like that? Or was that done because you had a hard time getting pregnant right. with the turkey baster? Right. So in those cases, then we have to dig, dig a little bit deeper and see what are the underlying health issues that could have caused you to have a hard time getting pregnant or staying pregnant. Those same hormones are the ones that we're using for making milk. Mm-hmm, and so right. a lot of times if you had a, issues with pregnancy, if you had issues staying pregnant or getting pregnant, all of those things. Oh my gosh. All yeah. of the above. I just yeah. keep saying <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. And even things that some people don't even think about, like if you are um, becoming a family with a surrogate, for example, the surrogate is in most cases going to lactate afterwards and Uh having some kind of plan for them to figure out what we're going to do so we don't, you know, so we can downregulate supply or donate milk or whatever it is that we're going to do about that. Yeah, there's just a little more people involved with a lot of our queer families, and we have to kind of put the puzzles together a little differently. There's a lot more to take into account, and there's a lot more specifics that you have to target and understand. Yeah. And that's why it's really important that people understand our families, how they're made, you know, because there's, as you know, so many ways to make a baby when you're making it the gay way. 
All right. So let's, let's slide over to Heidi. Heidi, what's your, what's your story? How'd you get to the Queer Family Podcast? I'm Heidi and uh, Trina stole me. <laughs> um, so I, I'm queer too. I'm bisexual. I happen to be married to a man. So um, the way that okay. I, yeah, <laughs> we like him. I think I'll keep him. I'll keep him. You know, I don't have the same kind of fertility experiences that I hear a lot on your podcast, although I did have some fertility issues of my own. Our first daughter was stillborn, which was an interesting experience for me because much like the surrogate that we just talked about, my milk still came in. And I think that um, resources could have been more readily available for me in that situation. Looking back, I wish that I knew that I could have donated that milk. Mm. And later I had two more kids and I did go on to donate milk. And the way that I went about uh, meeting Trina was actually at a breastfeeding event. And I was talking to her about a friend of mine who had adopted a baby and induced lactation herself. And she had some amount of milk, but not a complete supply. And I was donating to her and we were trying to figure out literally almost the exact math that we would with a lesbian couple mm-hmm. where, okay, this is how much she was able to make with induced lactation. And this is how much I was able to make with having given birth. How much of my milk should this baby be getting so that we aren't compromising her milk supply, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of really loving, helping people with this kind of thing and uh, joined Breast for Baby and became an IBCLC, a lactation consultant myself. And I actually have gone on also to uh, it's called relactation when you induce lactation after having previously lactated before myself. After I finally gave up chest feeding, it was four months and it was a, it was such a struggle. I, I, and I really, really, really had a hard time making this decision. My wife was like, you have to stop. You have to, cause it was making everyone miss. It was, it just mm-hmm. wasn't working. When I finally gave it up, my son got sick. He had RSV. Mm-hmm. He, he was in the hospital overnight. The nurse came to me and she was like, you're still, you're still breastfeeding. Right. And I said, no, I just stopped. She said, you can start, you can start again, you can start right now. And I, but I was like, it was the wrong thing to say to me. (laughs) Yes. And reading the room is also really important. We always tell people when we see them prenatally, we have three rules. So rule one, this is not compromisable. We have to feed the baby. Mm -hmm. Rule two, if we would like to feed the baby your milk, we need to have some kind of plan to protect milk supply. And honestly, I don't think we should really number it. I haven't figured out a better better way to no, phrase it, but it's just they're all rules. equally important. Everyone's mental and emotional well-being. And there are many reasons why mm. sometimes the decision you made is the right decision, too. Yeah. And like I said, we we help people feed in all kinds of different ways. It's really yeah. about the education. Yeah. Just like in birth, you want there's no wrong decisions, but it's really important that whatever happens is your decision. And so you need to make an educated decision. If you want to feed your baby formula, that's awesome. Your baby needs to eat. And if it's enjoyable for you, that's the best option. But you need to make that decision informed, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to feed your baby breast milk, that's awesome. Let's do whatever we can to make that work for you. It's And it's about so much more than what your baby eats. It's also about how your baby eats. It's about your connection with your baby. There are so many things to consider. And a lot of times it's just shortchanged. And especially because our profession is called lactation consulting, like it's so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had known how much work I could have put put in ahead of time before uh. baby came. I wish I had, I wish I had talked to you. I wish I had le- learned more about it. I just figured 
you know, because this is the myth, you know, my I was going to be Earth Mom. First of all, I was going to love pregnancy. I was going to be Earth Mother. <laughs> I was going to be rubber. I hated pregnancy. I did have a very rough time getting pregnant, which is the listeners know all about it, but it took me a very long time. And that's why this podcast even exists. I thought I was going to be like, I was going to breastfeed him till he was like five. I was like, this is, this is what I was made for. We were just going to bond. And no, none of that, none of that happened. It was, it yeah. was, it was awful. It was, mm-hmm. I couldn't, it just didn't work. It wasn't right. working. I wish I had known that I could have just even, I don't even know what I could have done, but I'm sure you could have told me what to do and it would have maybe been an easier. I think it also helps a lot to know, and this is with any family that we're talking to, but nothing about any of this has to be all or nothing. Right. And I, I'm the personality type that it's like, I was kind of like that where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be this earth mama. That's going to feed till they're five and all of that. Mm -hmm. And it was like, must follow every single rule and very kind of black and white thinking. It's a little bit of a neurodivergent thing too, but like there's a million ways that we can kind of accomplish whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. And as long as we're, you know, feeding the baby, protecting everyone's mental well-being. And, you know, if we want to be using your milk, protecting milk supply, there's a million ways that we can accomplish. I think one of the most important things we keep coming back to is if we have a chance to meet with you in pregnancy, we can talk about what is your goal. And then we can try and get you as close to that goal as possible. The goal and the success, whatever you think is success, it's not the same thing for everybody. It's not at all the same thing for everybody. Mm -hmm. For some people, I want 100% 100% latching at the breast, only my milk. That's right. sometimes just not possible, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to have that as a goal and we can work towards it. For some people, it's also, I know I'm not going to be going through the process of trying to induce lactation, but I would love to have my baby latch. Mm-hmm. How can we accomplish that? We can absolutely help you to get your baby latched and get fed in other ways. So sucking on the parent's chest is not necessarily where they're going to get the nutrients, but this is where we build comfort. And this is where we work on oral function of the baby. Um, Sometimes we can feed using a tube, um, a feeding tube that goes along and into baby's mouth um, so that they can be fed whatever supplements they need at chest or breast. We've had some couples where one will lactate and the other person will be the pacifier. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this mom is for feeding and this one is the one that I latch to go to sleep with mm-hmm. because huh. she is. This is a fair. Wow. I've never, yeah. I wonder, eight hey, listeners, if you, have you done that? I want to hear. That's, yeah. I have never heard that. And obviously your nipples can't stretch in the car seat. So sometimes you might still use a pacifier, but. Um, I was like, hell yeah. I'm going to pacifier for the second one because the first one <laughs> refused it. And I was like, this kid's taking a pacifier. Yeah. Sometimes the baby it. makes a choice for you on that one too. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Right. I really want to talk about induced lactation because I have spoken to many couples mm-hmm. who, who have induced lactation, trans, uh, trans individuals and, and actually adoptive mothers as well. Um, so I do want to get into that and just guidelines and things like that, like just tips and pointers and things. But before that, I want to dive a little bit into kind of your families a little, if I may. Mm-hmm. Because the, the listeners are used to hearing about our journeys, our queer journeys, so to speak. Sure. So why don't we switch on over to Trina? What I'm, what I'm most interested in hearing about is you're coming out and you had kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Could you talk a little bit about the coming out and coming out to your kids, coming out to your Absolutely. ex? Sure. I always identified as kind of queer bisexual, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've always known that I was attracted to women. 
but growing up in a very small community, it was just never modeled. Like mm -hmm. I didn't realize now looking back on it, I didn't realize that I could have a family without a dude. Right. And that just kind of like, I did, there was no representation. There was, there were no queer women and no queer families where I grew up. Yeah. And so it just, it just, it wasn't a choice for me. Like I knew they were there. I did not grow up with any kind of religious background or even societal kind of stigma, really. Mm -hmm. um, Denmark is a very liberal country and, and it would have been fine for me to come yeah. out. I just did not have representation. And I don't think I really realized that that was an option for me. And so I had definite crushes over the years. But then I, I met a guy who had similar interests as me and he had a good kind of plan for the future. And I was sure he would make a great dad. And I wanted kids. Yeah. So we got married and, and had these kids. And I was a stay-at-home parent for many years, uh, which is, you know, when I started my kind of journey into lactation work. Mm -hmm. I guess with so many, like with so many other people, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, we had to spend a lot of time together. And <gasps> this is recent. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. So yeah, we had to spend a lot of time together and that was kind of eye-opening that over the mm. years we've grown pretty far apart and mm. we were married for 26 years. Wow. Our oldest is 20 and wow. youngest is 17. And so it's just kind of slowly started escalating. Like once I started really exploring what is it that I would like with my life, it was very clear to me that that probably did not involve a man and it probably also did not definitely involve my ex as my husband. I started kind of looking around on dating apps and kind of went on a couple of dates. And, eh. and then I had a chance encounter with a person um, online and started a long distance relationship that was really life altering for me. Yeah. And when I went to meet with this person, the very first time we spent a weekend together and I came home and I was very, very aware that I could not possibly stay in that marriage any longer. Um, so, yeah. So that was the end of that. And it actually happened really, really quickly from me kind of deciding I need out was in April. And by July, I was moved out and we were divorced. It happened super quick. Yeah. That compulsory heterosexuality can be kind of yeah. a it's a bitch. A lot to unpack. Yeah. yeah. It's, a lot. it's a lot. It's a lot. And then and then your kids, how did your kids take it? My kids were always aware that we were like I've always been super open about things and and my kids were definitely aware that I had some attractions to women as well and uh, my kids like both going to Rainbow Fest yeah, and Pride take for, them to Pride since they were little all that stuff. So, and they've got their own journeys they've gone through yeah. too. Both of my kids kind of identify as somewhere on the rainbow spectrum. I don't think that part was hard for anyone to handle. But of course, even as a teenager, even as an adult, your parents getting divorced when they've been married your entire life, they've lived together your entire life. That's a big thing to swallow for anybody, no matter what the reason, right? Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. Big adjustment, big transitions. Yeah, huge. 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 Well, okay, so Heidi, let's slide on over to you, Heidi. You said you had a stillbirth and we mm. it went through quickly. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about it if you want to. Yeah, and I'm 
very comfortable talking about this, but I know that, uh, especially for some of your listeners who are trying to become pregnant or who are currently pregnant, like I, it's hard to consume that kind of content. I guess what exactly, how do I go through all this? Maybe also mention that the, uh, services for milk management after loss is oh, that's another that thing we do and yeah. see us for. And <laughs> yeah. that is a service that we offer for free. Yeah. You oh, can okay. use our services. You can, you can come in and see us for that, or you can book a virtual visit if you need help. Yeah. If you are lactating after loss and you need some help, we're here. Yeah. Yeah. So my own queer journey, it's a little different. I'm bisexual. I don't think that we really had I don't think I really had a good understanding of what that meant when I was younger and that that it was really an option. I feel like when I was growing up, there was just a lot of really black and white thinking about like, you are either straight or you are a lesbian. And the extension of how people thought about bisexuality, of course, there are people who have experiences exactly like Trina's where compulsory heterosexuality can make you realize that actually you weren't ever meant to be with a man. But it was always very confusing for me growing up because I felt like, oh, of course I have a crush on her. And oh, but he's cute too. And like, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. And I did not grow up in Denmark. And I actually <laughs> had some pretty decent queer representation as a kid. My um, grandmother was also kind of a late in life lesbian. And she was with my other grandmother until they, they both died in oh. their nineties, you know? Oh, wow. And then oh. her daughter as well. My aunt uh, is also with uh, another woman. Her name is Claudia, my other aunt who uh, they got married the year it became legalized. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was just a, an interesting experience to kind of like see that representation growing up. But I definitely kind of felt like three kids in a trench coat trying to pretend who right. I was, and I still have identity crises sometimes, but it's fine. We're fine. Yeah, Your religious yeah. upbringing. Yes, also. and I did not grow up in Denmark. I grew up in a very religious uh, household, super evangelical, and that was a lot to unpack too. And oh, wow. Even with all the lesbians around you? <laughs> they were gal pals. That was grandma's yeah. roommate. Uh, and as I got older, I kind of figured some of that stuff out, you know. Yeah, so I don't know how much into that we really want to get. But um mm. I married man and I love him very much and I'm very much attracted to him and had, well, three daughters, if you count the stillbirth. And um, my other two children are 10 and seven now. Same. I'm, yeah. I get 10 and six over here. Yeah. And they've got more queer aunts going on. You know, my husband's sister is also <laughs> <laughs> queer. So it's just lots of amazing. So, yeah, surrounded raised, raised going to rainbow fest and, and yeah. pride and all that stuff. And everything that I kind of wish that I had growing up was like, Hey, you know, this can look a lot of different ways. And yeah. it's also okay to take a while to figure yourself out. And you asked about the stillbirth. Was that it's only if you want to, I just, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, if, if you want to. And of sure. Course. So, um, we got pregnant with our first and relatively normal pregnancy. We were having a girl and well, Maybe she was a girl. <laughs> she never got to tell us. But when I was about 24 weeks, um, I went in for a normal appointment and they found out that uh, her heart had stopped beating. Oh. And yeah, I know for sure she kicked on Black Friday. So the holidays are always kind of a hard time for me because I'm like, Ken felt her kick too. And so I got to have the very unpleasant experience where they induced labor and uh, she was born and I, it was 
as terrible as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And I do remember after she was born, kind of, they gave us a lot of resources and lactation was part of the conversation. I was given really horrible advice. You know, they told me to like bind and whatever you do, don't move milk. And I got really bad mastitis on top of it. You know, your body doesn't know that you, that your baby didn't live. So I read a quote after she was born that said, my body grieved too, and its Mm. tears were white. I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this has been your experience as well, but sometimes too, you'll hear a baby cry and that will cause you to let down. Like, you know, you've ever had like a leak that happens in the grocery store because some random baby cries when you're lactating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that spontaneous lactation Mm -hmm. when your baby is making those little like baby goat noises where they're like, and you just start leaking. (laughs) My experience with the stillbirth was actually I would be sleeping and I would let down and the experience of letdown, I swear I could like, I felt like I was hearing her cry. So yeah, that was really challenging. (laughs) And it turns out that we think most likely what it was was an undiagnosed thyroid condition. With, In the you know, baby? With me. Oh, with you? With me. They think that I, I, well, I do. I have Hashimoto's and they think that that's probably what happened, but sometimes it's not. You don't really get a clear answer. And it took them quite a few years before they kind of piece that together. And we're still not 100% sure that that's what happened. And then I went on to have two more healthy kids on thyroid meds, which oh. can also have a fun effect on lactation as well. Your thyroid, there's all kinds of hormonal things. And I breastfed them and donated some of their milk. And and then wow. now here I am. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry for your loss and everything you Thank went you. through. Well, so for instance, my journey, like it, it took me almost three years to get pregnant. My problem was not lack of supply. I mean, I didn't have crazy amount, but I was producing milk, but I was on every fertility drug you can possibly imagine throughout that time. Mm -hmm. Three rounds of IVF, like 20 IUIs, like lots of sperm. Not that that does anything, but, and it was just unexplained infertility. Like they never figured out why it didn't work. And then all of a sudden it worked on a random IUI, a very low dose of one of the drugs that I had been, I've been on everything you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And it stops right after you're pregnant. And then none mm-hmm. of that ever. And I, like, I, I still to this day think it has had a s- crazy effect on my body, all those drugs I took. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But who knows? And nobody does any follow-up care about that anyway. And nobody can tell me anyway. So, And also it has probably had a good amount of effect on your you know, your mental health right after having your yeah. baby. You know, that's right. a stressful situation to go through. And then I had a very traumatic birth. I had an emergency C-section because his heart rate kept plummeting Mm -hmm. the entire labor. And then finally it was like last second, like I was nine centimeters and all of a sudden the doctor was like, we got to go, we got to go. And they were like Mm -hmm. running me down the hall. It was very dramatic and traumatic. And they cut him out of me before my wife even had time to make it in the room. Like it was like, he was not going to make it like Mm -hmm. bad. It was just, the cord was just like, wrapped around him like a noose, basically. So every contraction would just suffocate him. But anyway, so that was traumatic. I think I have PTSD over that. <laughs> yes. So, and, I and, never- and you tell those stories and then people go, oh, but aren't you so thankful to have a healthy yeah. mom and a healthy right. baby? And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. yes. And I can say this with full confidence. Of course that matters. Yeah. 
that's not the only thing that matters. No. Totally no. discount your experience. Yeah. Right. And to this day, I have two kids. To this mm-hmm. day, if that child gets sick, I go into some insane panic place that mm-hmm. is I tell my wife, I say, I know, I know I'm being irrational. I know I'm getting mm-hmm. it under control. I'm doing my best, but I'm freaking out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I, I clearly need therapy, which I haven't gone to. But um, besides that, I'm learning from you that all of that could have contributed to the fact that I wasn't able to carry out my breastfeeding plan. Absolutely. Like mainly was his, he couldn't, he didn't latch well. Well, if you have a cord wrapped around your neck a whole bunch too, that can create all kinds of structural responses that makes it difficult for them to get into certain positions or mm. coordinate, suck, swallow, breathe. You know, obviously we didn't see the the kid. Yeah. And That's, getting yourself into position when you just had major surgery to get your baby latched can be incredibly yeah. challenging. A lot of times structural structural differences in the child is a lot of what we deal with. Yeah, it's a huge um, portion of it. Do you talk a lot about Tongue tied, tongue tied, sort of collis, hip dysplasia. I mean, like, there's a whole host of things that can be just basic reflex integration and mm-hmm. like getting everybody to co-regulate. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to do that. And it's really hard to spend a decent amount of time figuring that out when you are in a state of dysregulation, which is what happens when you go through Something a birth like situation that. like that. Yeah. It wasn't a beautiful experience. I mean, I have my son and it's beautiful, but we had a lactation consultant come in because I was having such a hard time and it was awful. It was Mm. terrible. She just made me cry. And like, I'm going to cry thinking about it. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. Just like with any other practitioner, there are people who are great at this and there are people who are not so great at this. There are people who have people skills and there are people who have none. And unfortunately, that does not keep anyone from taking a board exam. Well, her verdict was he was like tongue tied and cheek tied. He was tied like in all the places according yeah. to her. Mm-hmm. And then she recommended like a laser snip thing yeah. or whatever. So which- usually what happens is if babies have ties like that, it's that's not an unusual thing for us to see. What's really important to recognize is that that is, that is part of the issue, but all of those ties have caused dysregulation and Mm -hmm. uh, structural difficulties for that child, most likely. And so Mm -hmm. what we need to do is work on all those structural things first, Mm -hmm. see where we can get with that and see how close to function we can get with that. And then if we need to release ties after that, then we can do that. But by the time we release ties, both mom and baby should be regulated. Both the parent and the baby need to be in a state where that's going to be helpful. And if you scoot right into having a surgical release, it is really, really rare that it comes out as with really good results. I mean, it didn't work. We did it and it didn't change anything, which is even more heartbreaking because the poor baby, you know, like, oh my God, it's, I'm, I'm reliving, like, I didn't realize I was so traumatized by this. Well, but this is what we come back to. We need to have resources and we need to have support so that someone is there walking you through the weeks prior, walking you through the day of the two days after walking you through weeks after making sure that you have the education that you need and the resources that you need. And so that we can help you and your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just let you go off into the sunset and do your own thing. Right. We need support. There are also hormonal changes that are involved with 
breastfeeding as well or chest feeding lactation in any way. I don't think that we do necessarily a very good job of kind of communicating about expectations with that. It's why I think coming to a prenatal appointment when possible is always a good idea. And I do think that this may not be entirely true, but in our in queer communities, there may be some dysphoria that is experienced when we're feeding at the chest, mm-hmm. or there's something that anyone can get called dysphoric milk ejection reflex. And people end up thinking they're crazy and Googling like postpartum depression that comes and goes. What is this? Sometimes I feel this and sometimes I don't. And it can be just kind of a dysregulation of the way that your hormones are reacting to milk letting down. Um, and a lot of people don't even know that that exists. What was the eject? eject what was the? Dysphoric milk ejection reflex. It's called, is, or demer, demer, you know. What is that? What is that? It's exactly what I just described. So it's when milk lets down, you know, you hear a lot of times people talk about like, okay, you get this like oxytocin release during milk letdown. That's when your milk starts to flow. Mm-hmm. I get this like euphoria kind of feeling and, oh, I feel so connected. And it's kind of like what you were describing at the beginning of this. And for many people, that is what it feels like. But for some people, the way that our hormones communicate with our brain, that letdown experience is when you might experience something that feels like like a postpartum depre- depression, or sometimes it can manifest Ooh, itself in like a sick to your stomach kind of feeling. Yeah. And you're like, That's what is totally this? Me. Yeah, I but it comes and it. goes, and it takes that a while to figure to out. It happens yeah. because of the letdown. I hated it. Every time I felt it, I would yeah. get like like a this sensory kind of red, and this like oh, like. Like heavy, like this heavy feel. I hated it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to say also, you know, if anyone's listening to this pregnant, we're not saying this is going to happen to you. For many people, it's fairly rare. It's fairly (laughs) rare. But when it happens, it can be really scary when you don't know what what that is. And especially it can be really hard to kind of fish out yourself and figure out this is happening related to breastfeeding. Right. Like, because you, you, it takes a while to kind of put it together. Mm. And you might feel like the only one and like there's, you know, all these other people are talking about how wonderful this feels and you feel like. Even just knowing that that is a thing, even just knowing that, okay, what I'm experiencing is a thing and that is valid and that it's not necessarily dangerous. That validation alone is enough for some people to go, okay, I can deal with this. And And also prep for it. No. Okay. Okay. I'm about to latch. I'll probably feel like this. Let me distract myself. Yes. For a second. Eating something right before you go to latch your baby or to pump. Some parents find that they only feel it when they're pumping because they pump both breasts at the same time. Uh And when you pump both breasts at the same time, you get twice the the feeling of the stuff going through your yeah. body. So if you're only pumping on one side, or if you're only feeding your baby on one side, it can be a little bit less. And then you go to pump and it's even more. So kind of being able to work with it and figure out what works for you, what it was works better. Awful every time. Yeah. 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 And you've just gone through three years of fertility treatment too, where you already are kind of feeling mad at your body. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Like my eyes are open. I feel like I have a lot to dig through here. <laughs> I think I'm getting a therapy session. <laughs> I need therapy. Feel this free to book a virtual <laughs> session with either one of us. <laughs> Your reaction is actually really valid. And also like you are not the only person that deals with like birth trauma or pregnancy trauma or this kind of thing. Years later. Yes. Yeah. Because you can't. Yes. You, you ask an 80 year old what happened at her birth and she can still tell you, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of times when we suppress things in relation to birth, but also in relation to sexuality, if we repress things, it's literally just our brains protecting us because mm-hmm. we cannot deal with it at the moment. And so going through years of living in a heterosexual marriage, I did that because I did not, I was not ready to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are not digging into any of this until now is maybe just because you could not deal with it earlier. And yeah. so that's totally fine. And I also you can think, deal with things when you are ready for it. I also think it sounds like you're doing kind of what both of us did, where you're like, oh, this was difficult for me. I'm going to start a podcast, yeah, and, yes. and well, yes. re- you know, yes. which is literally exactly how we became lactation consultants. Yes. <laughs> This is how a lot of us, you know, we go through something traumatic and then something is born from it, right? Right. This is yes, a lot of absolutely. us, especially us queer folks. We, uh-huh. we, we get creative with our trauma. <laughs> Many of us, yeah. <laughs> I really am just like, I have talked about the birth a lot. So rehashing that is not hard for me. I've talked about the traumatic birth. I've talked about, like, that wasn't hard for me to tell you. Mm. I haven't talked about that lactation consultant. Like, every time I say lactation consultant, I feel like I want to cry. Yeah. I'm so sorry that was your experience. <laughs> Thanks. I'm also like, this is comical to me because like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's just like. Well, you had a plan. A you had an idea in your brain yeah. of how things were going to go and it went differently. You had unmet expectations. Yeah. yeah. Unmet expectations are just the root of all evil. Literally <laughs> just like yeah. unmet expectations are. Wow. I have to work really through bad. that. <laughs> Think about that yeah. some more. Jeez, this stif- this stuff really does run deep. I do want to take some time to devote to induced lactation because there are many of uh, our community who, for many reasons, want to use or need to use induced lactation. We have adoption, Mm -hmm. adoptive parents who want to induce lactation and the men can too, like adoptive dads can too. And yes, adoptive dads can, um, in some cases, intersex people can, trans men and trans women Mm -hmm. in various stages, or of course, non-binary folks all in various stages of of things. It It, might look different based on your individual experience, but it's all about expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even when we're talking about maybe two dads who are bottle feeding, we want to be bottle feeding in a way that is optimizing oral development and the possibility if you would like to, you know, first, if you're going to be formula feeding, how to formula feed, like Mm. how to mix the formula correctly and donor milk as an option as well. Right. Choosing a nipple that fits your baby's oral anatomy, feeding your baby in a position that makes everything better for your baby, not just for their oral anatomy, but like for their physical development. There's there's so many things in this. Mm -hmm. And literally anybody feeding a baby could probably use a little bit of help. I think you're right. I think that this is one of those, this is one of those things like, you know, women's healthcare or healthcare for people with uteruses that, that just gets gets a once like not a once over it just gets looked over nobody nobody pays attention to this stuff and it yeah. really is important and it is literally feeding a human yeah yeah <laughs> right how, so this yeah. really deserves a lot of attention yeah. and just like we put so much effort into deciding how we're going to make our families just like we put so much effort into getting pregnant or getting our children our families made we have to put that much effort into our postpartum care as well and i'm learn i'm learning this time and time again and it's so easy not to because mm. our society does not like as a rule it's well, amazing see to it. see how many people spend hours and hours and hours on birth prep 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the birth is, relatively speaking, it's a short period of time. Like we know right. it's finite. It's it's going to happen and then you're going to be done with that portion, right? And it's okay. usually within a day. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but then the amount of people who spend hours preparing for that one day of that one event spent no time at all preparing for feeding the baby, which is going to continue happening in some cases for a short little while, but at least a few weeks maybe to several years. And right. and there's no preparation for it because it's no, supposed to be natural and normal and well, so is birth. But what I always say is feeding your baby at breast or at chest is natural and normal, but so is walking. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have to Right. practice. And it's easier when you have someone holding your hand. And you're going to have to see people walk. How many people down. do we see right. breastfeeding? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God forbid yeah. somebody yeah. pulls a boob out or a chest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like in a lacy bra. Yeah. Then you can then put it on a poster okay. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. It's all hamburgers. I feel like we could talk for hours and I feel like I need uh-huh. like a real therapy session to really dig deep, maybe a little ketamine or something. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> This is amazing. And I'm so happy I got to talk to you. I feel like there was more that we needed to talk about, but that made Did you want to touch on induced lactation a little bit? I we do. can totally yeah. talk about like what people can do and give you some resources. Maybe we can just kind of send you some resources. You can put them in your show notes Love that. so people can do that. Another thing is um, we do offer virtual visits. Of course, people who are here in the Phoenix area can come and see us in our offices. But if you want to reach out and get some help virtually, we offer virtual sessions in our intake form. It has a little place for adding where you learned about us. If you add the Queer Family, Family podcast, podcast, then we will make sure we have a little rainbow discount for you. Ooh. So you can come and see us. Another thing that a lot of people don't know is your insurance is very likely to cover our services. Mm-hmm. So on our website, again, there's a link where you can go and um, put in your insurance information. And within a few days, they'll let you know whether you're covered or not. And if you are covered, every single visit with us will be free of charge for you if you stay on that same insurance plan. Yeah. And and also, I think this is also important to know that if there's more than one person that is going to be feeding the baby, both of your insurance may cover us. So insurance covers a pump often. Uh, If you have you know, if Trina and I were going to breastfeed a baby together, Trina could come see a lactation consultant. She's pregnant. I can come see a lactation consultant to induce lactation. Trina can get a pump. I can get a pump. The size of the flanges that you get with your pump makes a huge difference. Oh, um, yeah. The flanges that come with pumps generally are ginormous. They're way too big for the average for person. For most people. We need, yeah. to, we need to make sure that you are sized correctly so that you're not running a marathon in size 14 shoes. Yeah. You right. need to you know, be fitted. If say you're a couple who's just found out they're pregnant mm-hmm. ha- and you know, you're going to want to, one of you is going to want to induce lactation. Or Call us right you. away. Yeah. The more like, time we have to prep, the better it is because, okay. you know, some of these things take time. We, we mm-hmm. can do a lot of prep work and not actually start pumping until quite a bit later. The sooner yeah. you come in, the better output we're going to get. Because with Sometimes with herbal supplements, sometimes with medications, sometimes with hormones, we can we can do all kinds of things to yeah. help your body kind of get pushed into into gear. And and also, if you didn't prep early, I was going right here. Yeah, yeah. Say Trina's pregnant, and I didn't make my appointment, and then our baby is born, and I'm like, oh, it would be nice if I had useful nipples, and we could both do that. 
you can still work on things. It just helps if you come in a little early. Sometimes it might be a slightly different process if right. you you come in a little later. Or, or I could be the pacifier. Yeah, exactly. You could still yeah. latch. You could yeah. still latch. Yeah. Or you could still get a really good session on how to utilize bottle nipples really well for your baby. Yeah. And, you know, how to how to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're telling me is when we realized that the breastfeeding wasn't working for me, my wife should have started breastfeeding. That's what I'm hearing. That happens. <laughs> yeah. Would. Some of our clients literally <laughs> do that. And it's actually not unheard of too for sometimes people to say, okay, the pregnancy is really important to me. I want to be the one that's pregnant, but maybe, maybe breastfeeding is just really not something I want to do. Maybe it's really dysphoric for me, mm-hmm. right. but Trina wants to be the one right. that does the breastfeeding. Right. You know, yeah. there's a, as many ways as there are to create a family, there are ways to feed a kid. So we can, and we can get creative, which we are so good at in the queer community. So get the help. It's out there. Um, Don't end up like me, traumatized and um, not dealing with your emotions. That's, that's my Mm -hmm. lesson here. That's our takeaway. (laughs) Crying every time you say lactation consultant. (laughs) Don't end up like that, y'all. Get the help. Oh my God. And and if you have a bad experience with maybe one seek person, someone else. Maybe out. not everyone yeah. jives with everyone. Yeah. It's true. It's true. There are plenty of people we would not be a good fit for. There are right. plenty yeah, of people that would not be a good fit for. Find the right people for you. Right. So and and be your own advocate. We That's, have to do a lot of that in the queer community. I I, I think yeah. less of that should be on our own responsibility and maybe providers should just step up to the it plate. Should, but yeah. that's I think maybe that's another plug for going early, uh, meeting with someone during pregnancy or during the wait time while your surrogate is pregnant, mm-hmm. um, meeting with different people and seeing who do you actually work well with. Mm-hmm. Because if you meet a person ahead of time and you can tell this is not my person, then you have time to find somebody else. So many good lessons here. So much, so much to take away. Tell everybody where they can find you. It'll all be in the show notes as well. And whatever Uh resources you want to send over, I will add to the show notes as well. So it'll all be in a nice, pretty place. We are on Instagram and on Facebook at Breast for Baby. And our website is Mm breastforbaby.com. So that's pretty easy to remember. Okay. And I also want to plug just a couple of resources that aren't us specifically. Love it. I've heard some people mention a couple of different resources on your podcast when talking about induced lactation. One is the Newman Goldfarb protocol, which is the most common place that people go when they look stuff up. Mm -hmm. But it sounds very kind of black and white and just know that things are adjustable with that. You might not do that exact protocol, but it is one that people commonly will find. There's another IBCLC named Alyssa Schnell, who is wonderful. She has written the book, Breastfeeding Without Birthing. She was an adoptive mom who uh, induced lactation herself. And she has a really lovely podcast. So I'm going to plug it, you know, plug another podcast that I have nothing to do with um, (laughs) called Breastfeeding Outside the Box, where she is, does kind of what you're doing, interviewing parents in a variety of circumstances. There are a lot of queer parents on there and people who have dealt with fertility issues specifically about feeding their babies. Oh, I should and connect with her. You should. You should be friends. Should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Friends. Everyone should be friends with Alyssa. Yeah, Alyssa's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so those are good kind of starting points as well. And in general, if you're looking for an IBCLC, like I said, you are, we would love to see you. Ask some questions because not every IBCLC necessarily has as much in-depth training about induced lactation specifically. They should know Probably. something about it, but some of us have a little more experience. Some of us have done it ourselves. I think that's, imp- that's a really important thing to think about and to bring up for sure. Yeah. Cause we want to find people who really are going to know, like walk the walk, talk the talk and right. all the things. So 
great points. Everybody check out those things. I'm going to become best friends with Alyssa. Alyssa? Yeah, you should reach out. Tell her Heidi sent you. (laughs) And so maybe y'all will be hearing about from or about Alyssa at some point. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. I've got some deep digging to do. You've opened up a doorway. I'm not sure. I I might close it as soon as we say goodbye, but I know it's there. (laughs) That's important. Parenthood isn't meant to be done alone. Reach out to your community. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. And uh, listeners at home, tell me if you had traumatic breast chest feeding experiences. I want to know. Or if you had really beautiful ones, can we hear those too? Yeah, I know we also kind of filled this with all kinds of horrible things. Most of us will not have stillbirths and horrible experiences and dysphoric milk ejection reflex. It's helpful to know those things can happen, but also that doesn't mean it will happen to you. Oh, my mom yeah. had the best time. Just the best. So yeah. talk to mom soon about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so nice to meet you. You too. Bye. Queer Family Podcast. Whew. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, feel free to listen to another or watch another. I have so many episodes for your listening or viewing pleasure. Just go pick one and and enjoy. There's a lot. There really is. And also, if you really do like this show, please, I know I say it all the time, but please do consider supporting the show on Patreon. You're just going to go to patreon.com slash the queer family podcast. You're going to pick a tier. You're going to join and you're going to get that bonus content. And you're also going to get my love and adoration for the rest of my life. I love you all. Thanks for tuning in. Keep on tuning in and I'll see you next time. Mwah. <laughs>